This is the most exciting, wonderful news you could ever know. Perhaps you don't know it yet today, and perhaps by the end of this morning you will know it. You know, there's five reasons to believe in the resurrection. One is the empty tomb of Jesus 2,000 years ago. The second is that Jesus appeared to many people, one time up to 500 people at once. The third reason to believe the resurrection is that that those disciples' lives who were just so fearful and locked away and, and scared, their lives were totally transformed and they went to the ends of the earth talking about Jesus being alive Fourthly, the the impact of Jesus on all of human history. We're still talking about him today. And fifthly, the experience of believers all over the world who say, he's my savior, and he's my Lord, and I've met him. And today I want to talk about that experience. And I want to help you enjoy that experience today, whether you've been a Christian for 20 years, 40 years, one year, one month, or whether you don't know him at all today, you can experience him. And I'm going to read from John chapter 20. Actually, Tacconi uh, referenced this story she was leading this morning. I'm so glad because it just gives us a little way in. So I'm going to read from John 20. This is the story of Mary Magdalene when she's the first witness to the resurrection. And She's been there all the time Jesus has been ministering on earth. She's there. She's supporting him. She's probably quite a wealthy lady, Mary Magdalene. She's supporting Jesus with her own resources, the Bible tells tells us. And it also tells us that Jesus drove seven demons out of her. So we don't know exactly what that meant and what that looked like, but she had a load of things happening in her life that Jesus really helped her with and helped her positively changed from the person she was into the person she became. And we also read that she was there at the cross of Jesus when he was crucified. When everybody else scattered, she was there. And she was also there when they buried him. She saw where they laid Jesus in a tomb. And she was the first witness to Jesus alive from the dead. She was the first one to see the empty tomb and to report it to the others. And after she's reported to the others that the tomb is empty, she, she, and, and they go back and they, they, they agree that the tomb is empty, she goes back to that tomb and she encounters Jesus. Let's read together from John 20. It's going to appear on the screen behind me. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked the woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked the woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him. And I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's just uh, close our eyes for a moment. We're not going to pray. I just want to imagine 
I want you to imagine yourself in that situation, that you are in Mary's position, that you've come back to this empty tomb, and you're trying to figure it out. And this voice that sounds kind of familiar starts talking to you, and you can't quite place it, and you're still confused. And then, that's it, he says your name. Can you hear him saying your name? And how do you respond? You, you run over to him and you hug him and he hugs you back. <laughs> just a few of us, I want you to just shout out perhaps the word or the, 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 the feeling you have. At this moment in time, you're being hugged and you are hugging the Son of God come back from death. What, what, what are you feeling right now? Let's have a few people just shout it out nice and loud, please. Joy. Amazing. Amazing. Excited. Safety. Safety. Joy. Relief. Relief. Love. Love. Wonder. Wonder. Peace. these things. Isn't it amazing? You can open your eyes. This is Jesus coming not just to Mary, but to us today, to you and to me. Perhaps the feeling is of bewilderment, astonishment. How? Why? When? Who? Perhaps joy, perhaps intimacy. If death brings distance, then resurrection surely brings closeness. Perhaps this sense that things are going to be okay now. I wondered about this one. Where is my mobile phone when I need it to record this moment on Instagram? Me and the Son of God who is risen from the dead. Wouldn't this be an exciting video to share online? I think that would go viral, wouldn't it? <laughs> but here's the thing we're to know about this story, that we're being invited into it. As has been said throughout our worship time, we're being invited to step into the story because this isn't just history. This isn't just something that happened thousands of years ago. This is the experience of every believer to experience the risen Lord Jesus. It's so personal. In fact, let's read this verse from Romans chapter 8. As the Apostle Paul, who wasn't there when Jesus was risen from the dead, he had his own encounter with Jesus later on. He, he said it in, in this, he was teaching some Christians, and he said, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives within you. Do you see what he does? 
You see, we think the resurrection is all about Jesus and a historical thing that we're trying to kind of figure out. The Apostle Paul says, it's actually all about you. It's about, it's about Jesus, but it's about you. You know, let's hear it for the millennials. Paul's finally made it about you. <laughs> and the resurrection has profound implications on our lives today, on your life. Do you see yourself in that scripture? The spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead living in you, giving life to your mortal bodies. You are involved here. So I want to ask the question, who are we meeting today at the empty tomb on this Easter Sunday morning? And that verse just unpacks it a little bit for us. Sometimes we ask the question, well, who killed Jesus? And the answer to that question is, well, you could answer that in a number of ways. You could say, well, perhaps the Jewish leaders were responsible, or perhaps the Roman authorities, perhaps the disciples themselves for just abandoning him at the moment they needed him the most to protect him. But the Bible is actually very clear that the one really behind the death of Jesus was God himself. In Acts 2, 23, when Peter's preaching about it, he says this was God's deliberate plan for Jesus to die on the cross. So responsibility doesn't primarily lie with those who killed him, but the God who chose to send his son for this purpose. But when we're asking this question today on Easter Sunday, because we'd say, well, who killed Jesus? Well, there was lots of people involved in that process. There was human beings involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. But who raised Jesus from the dead? And the answer is, well, there was no human beings involved with that at all. See, Mary was just there, and it, it just happened without anybody else being involved. But, you know, there's three persons who are involved in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and we meet them at the empty tomb today, you and me, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we read in that verse, it says, Him who raised Jesus from the dead, in Galatians 1 verse 1, it says clear, it says, God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Who do we meet at the empty tomb? We meet the Father. We meet him. And uh, Jesus told a story one time of, of a, a son who left home and he took the family silver with him and he spent it all. He wasted it all. And then he came back to his father begging for a job because he had nothing left to live on. And in that story that Jesus told, the father came running down the road to meet his son and he embraced him. And he put a robe on him, and he put a ring on him, and he called a party for him. And he said, this son of mine who has lost is found. Do you know when Jesus and Mary are embracing outside the empty tomb, do you know that is the Father embracing you today? It's the Father reconciling you to himself today. When, uh, when Jesus said to Mary, he says, but please don't hold on to me, it, it clearly indicates, first of all, that they were holding on to one another, and I think that was the most obvious thing that Mary did in that moment, that she was hanging on to him, she was embracing him. And, but Jesus says, we can't just keep doing this, Mary. We, we need, I, I, you need to go and tell everybody this news. So he says, go and tell the disciples that I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. See, Jesus says, this is what's happened with me being raised from the dead. You're reconciled to the Father, and you're now part of the family of God. I'm returning not to just to my Father, but he's your Father as well now, Mary. Do you know, God, the Father, he loves you. 
and through the resurrection, he is reconciled to you. Followers become family. But here's the second person who's involved in Jesus being raised from death. Well, it's Jesus himself, seemingly. Amazing. John chapter 10, verse 17. Jesus said this, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus, the Son of God, he talks about his own death and resurrection as if he's taking a nap and waking up again. (laughs) He says, that's the kind of power I have over death, death and life. I can die as if I'm going to bed and I can wake up on the third day. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I have the authority to take it up again. Jesus was in full control of his destiny. You know, autonomy is seen as one of the greatest of human freedoms. But there are some things we have little control over, the time and place of our death being one of those things. But Jesus had even power over that. You know, at times, angry mobs would try and push him off the edge of a cliff because he'd really upset them. But the Bible says he just walked through them and went on his way because his time hadn't come. In fact, there's another time when, when Mary, uh, his mother, comes to him at a, at a, at a wedding feast, and she says, she says can you, the, 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 we've run out of wine here, Jesus, can you sort this out, please? And he's slightly frustrated, because he says, he says Mother, my, my time has not yet come. You think that's a funny thing to say, isn't it? My time has not yet come. And he does the miracle, and water is turned into wine, there's an abundance, but in John's Gospel, where that's recorded, the time that Jesus is talking about. When his time has come is when he's raised on a cross. John talks about that as being his greatest glory, his greatest moment. It's the time when we are reconciled to the Father. His most glorious time. The cross wasn't Jesus' greatest weakness, but his greatest strength because he chose to remain there, even though he could have asked for a thousand angels to come and remove him. But here's the other thing about the son, as he comes out of the tomb that morning, and as he says hello to Mary, let me ask you the question, if I call your name, what do you do? Let me find somebody who's not looking at me. (laughs) Ah, you're all looking at me, this is annoying. (laughs) No, too bad. If, If you were looking somewhere else in the room right now and I called your name, if I said Peter, who is looking at me, and you weren't looking at me, you'd you'd look at me straight away, and you'd catch my eye. Now, here's that Good Friday feeling. When Peter has denied Jesus, when the others have run away from him, when they're gathered around the fire, and Peter's being asked if he knows Jesus, and he's sort of looking at the floor, and he says, "I, I don't know him. You see, when we're so aware of our failure and our sin. It's eyes down. It's eyes down. We daren't look up. (coughs) Do you know, sometimes, perhaps like you, I, I, and Good Friday being an example of this, I'll be there like, look, Lord, as I'm aware of my own sinfulness and the great price that was, was paid for me on the cross, I will say to Jesus, Lord, I'm so sorry that you that my sin 
required you to go through the horror of the cross. It's an eyes down moment. But do you know what the resurrection is? It's an eyes up moment. (laughs) It's the moment when Jesus catches our eye and he says, I'm alive. And what do we see in those eyes? Do Do we see a look of disappointment or sorrow or despair or disappointment or unhappiness or judgment? And the answer is this. No, we read in Isaiah 53 that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. What do you see in the risen Jesus' eyes as you look at him this morning? You see a look of delight, a look of joy, a look of wonder, a look of excitement as he welcomes you into his family. Eyes up. And as we mutter, yes, Lord, but I'm so sorry for my sin, he looks back at us and he says, what sin? It's gone. I left it at the cross. I'm back to be with you. He looks on you with delight today. You're the reward of his suffering. But here's the third person. So we meet the Father and we meet the Son at the empty tomb of Jesus and we also meet the person of the Holy Spirit. So in Romans uh, 8 verse 11, uh, we, we said, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, but here we have it slightly clearer in Romans 1 verse 3. Thanks, John. Uh, Jesus, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Holy Spirit is there present in the tomb, bringing Jesus to life. And in the same way as everything that was made was made through the person, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, present in creation, the Spirit hovering over the waters, so the Spirit of God is hovering over the, 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 the lifeless body of Jesus, and he brings a miracle about. And that's why, you know, Jesus doesn't come hobbling out of the grave. He doesn't come resuscitated. He doesn't come back saying, guys, I made it. <laughs> He comes out in glory. And even those scars that are in his hands and his feet that, and his head and his hands and his side, they're still there, but they're glorious somehow. The reminder of everything he's been and that Thomas will put his hand in his side, but somehow glorified. He's filled with power now. He's the Son of God appointed with power. So if the Son of God, so, so if God the Father speaks of us being reconciled into the family of God. If Jesus the Son speaks of friendship and forgiveness, then the Spirit of God speaks of his power to change everything for you and for me. Let's dive a little deeper. He says, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you... He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives within you. So this is personal to you today. What difference does meeting Father, Son, and Spirit in the resurrection make to your life? Well, the answer is this. Those three persons affect three places in your life. Your past, your future, and your present. Okay, so very quickly, the past... Jesus' death was in his past now. He was walking forward into newness of life and he would never die again. Do you know your past through the cross is now in the past? Everything that you've done to fail is now in the past. 
Forgiveness is now your reality. Jesus has taken all of your sin away. Sins forgiven, shame covered. Uh, I don't know if you... Anybody notice the Wordle on Good Friday? I know we did a bit of Wordle last week. I know not everyone does it, but the, the word was shame on Good Friday. It, quite um, astonishingly, Julie was just guessing, and, and one of the most popular words you can do on Wordle is your first guess is a tone, because it has lots of letters in it and stuff. So Julie typed in a tone, and she got lots of letters from it, and then she thought, oh, I'll just try shame. A tone, shame, she got it. So what a great Good Friday Wordle that was. Jesus atoned for our sins, and he dealt with the issue of our shame, the things we get embarrassed about. Do you know, the culture we live in tells us, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Just be yourself, and nobody dare tell me that I've done anything wrong. Just be yourself. But the trouble is, we do feel shame, don't we? Of course we do. And only one person can deal with our shame properly, and it's Jesus. And he says, leave it behind and come with me out of the grave. You know, he's in our past, he's already defeated all of your enemies. He's crushed the serpent's head. He's, he's defeated Satan and his powers in your life as well. But let's talk about the future. Because it says in that verse we read, he, it says, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life. There's a future ahead of you. Jesus now has a body that will never decay. It will never die. It will never rot in a grave. It will be there forever in glory. And this is what's true of you. You also will be raised from death. And you will be given a body like Jesus' body, which is identifiably you, but it's more you than you've ever been on this earth. And that body will never decay and you will live forever with all those who love Jesus and have followed him and received his gift. You know, sometimes we face challenge in this life. We can face physical health challenges. We can face mental health challenges. And those things can catch us by surprise sometimes. And I found myself saying it sometimes. You look back and say, I just, I just wish I could rewind this clock by a year or two and things could be how they were. But do you know, there's somewhere even better than, that we can look to, and it's this future place. It's this future place where mental health challenges will be no more, where bodily health and cancer will be no more, where death will be no more, because Jesus has called us forward into this resurrected, risen place. And even the wounds we've carried in this life, like those wounds of Jesus, will be glorified in beauty as he gives us healing and life and immortality. So that's the past and the future. Where does that leave us with? The present, right now, okay? So how does the resurrected, risen Jesus help us and meet with us in the present he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. That's what we've got right now. We're mortal bodies, aren't we? Because of his spirit who lives within you. The spirit who raised Jesus lives in you. That means his risen power is experienced now in our bodies and minds. I, I just did a bit of a quick Bible study the other day. I thought, well, what did Jesus get up to after he rose from death? Because that's kind of interesting, isn't it? You think, well, 
because, you know, we, I think we, I don't know, I, I was just interested in that. Anyway, here's some of the things that he got up to. He went for walks with his disciples. He talked with them. He revealed himself to them. He directed them. He climbed mountains with them at the ascension. And here's a big favorite. He ate with them. This is kind of everyday stuff, isn't it? Walking, talking, climbing, eating. That's probably some of the stuff you're doing this weekend, isn't it? See, this risen Jesus, he's an everyday risen Jesus. He's there for you and for me today. This is our norm now. If you're a Christian, it's to walk and live with the risen Jesus. The risen Jesus invited those disciples to a barbecue. He prepared for them on the beach. But here's the, an interesting difference, you see. So every time they met the risen Jesus, he was kind of near them or next to them or in front of them. By the Spirit today, we're going to go one step better. You ready? Revelation 3, verse 20. Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Eating signifies the deepest fellowship you can have with somebody. That's why we... You know, we sit by our desks by ourselves sometimes at work, eating our own little packed lunch. It's our way of saying, not my friends. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> no. But when we eat with someone, when you invite them around for a meal, you're saying, you know what, we're, we're pals, aren't we? We like doing this. <coughs> well, Jesus, the Son of God, risen from death, he says, I'm waiting outside your door. You're going to let me in. Because I want to come in and I've got the takeaway with me. I'm going to come and eat with you. Here, let's put up this picture, please. If you've been around Kings of Wiley, you'll have heard me share this picture before. But this is a picture by Holman Hunt. He's a famous artist. This original hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral. The, the picture is called Light of the World. And it's Jesus risen from the dead. He's carrying a, a lamp. He's, he's got a, thorn of, a crown of thorns on his head. And he, he, he's... He's knocking on a door, and it's a picture of him knocking on the door of a, a human heart. And it's based on that verse that we just read. He's standing at the door and knocking patiently. And you can see he's been there a long time. The weeds are growing. And somebody with a, a very astute eye for detail, they said, said uh, Holman, I noticed you just missed the detail. He said, I noticed that you, you missed the handle off the door there. And uh, he shook his head. He said, no, that was... That was quite deliberate, he said, because this door can only be opened from the inside. Now, here's the amazing thing about Jesus, right? He could walk through walls. Even though he was a physical being, he could appear and disappear at will. He wasn't a ghost, he was physical, but he could go anywhere. But this verse seems to tell us that the only place that he won't just go without you letting him in is your, into your life. That's the place where we have to open the door from the inside. I was, I was sharing this picture with my son Ben a, f a few years ago when he was little. And, and Ben has quite a strong sense of opinion on things. And uh, I, I, was saying to, I, was, I was drawing him out. I said, look, Ben, have you noticed anything different from the door? Have you noticed the handle's not there? And he says, oh, yeah, no handle. I said, so how's Jesus going to get in? Because he, he's knocking and nobody's answering the door. How's he going to get in? And Ben just casually said, he's going to have to go around the back. <laughs> 
And I said, yeah, but Ben, there isn't a back door. And he said, yes, yes, there's always a back door. <laughs> and I said, but yeah, but let's pretend then there is no back door. So how is, ben, how, how is Jesus going to get in? We, we finally got there that the door had to be opened from the inside. I wonder today if you've opened the door to Jesus from the inside to let him in because he's waiting with the takeaway. He's waiting with the food. He's waiting to fellowship with you. And he's waiting not to just come and sit next to you, not to just appear in front of you, but to live inside of you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that so much more amazing than just getting a chocolate egg on Easter Sunday morning? I remember as a brand new Christian, uh, coming to my own sort of understanding of faith as a teenager, and, and I started listening. To, I, I started going to a church where they didn't sing old hymns anymore. They, they sang some newer sort of choruses, and, and there's this beautiful one. I just remember it. It just went, and he lives, he lives, he lives, he lives in me. I just remember that truth just penetrating my soul. That, God wasn't just truth to be sung about, but he was a person to be experienced. And here's the amazing thing about this Savior when he comes to live inside of us, that he unpacks his bags and he stays. He's not a fleeting friend. If you've been around long enough, then you'll know that friendships can change over time, can't they? Even the best of friends can sometimes come and go. Even the most intimate of relationships can not make the test of time. But do you know, here's a relationship that will make the test of time. It's Jesus, because even on your darkest day, even on your angriest day, even on the day when you try and push him away the furthest because you're going through all sorts of turmoil, he just sits there quietly and he says, well, I'll still be here. (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. And he's not only a friend, but he's also our Lord. I was chatting to somebody the other day who, um, he, he was talking about his organization. I said, how's, how's your organization going? You know, what, what's, what's happening in your sort of business? And they said, oh, we've just got a new CEO, so everything's changing. And uh, that's kind of, if you live in that corporate world, I think that's a common thing, isn't it? You get a new boss and everything changes. And it changes every few years because the old CEO didn't do the good job that you hoped he might, or she might. And, uh, And here's the thing, so Jesus moves into our life, not as a corporate CEO, but as the Lord of our life. And everything he says is always in our best interests. And so he starts to challenge us. He starts to lead us. He starts to identify attitudes and things that we believe. And he says, actually, that's not quite right. You need to align yourself with what I say. But he always does that in love and for our good. And this risen Jesus, not only does he come and live within us, but he brings life to our mortal body right now. How amazing is this? So mortality, right, is our biggest enemy. Sickness, disease, death. And one day he will heal it. But the spirit of God living within us now, by, through Jesus, he can, there can be outbreaks of his power right now. 
His immortality can draw attention to our, immortality, our mortality. So when you put Jesus alive and well from the dead, never to die again, next to our human frailty, there's a massive difference. Let's put these pictures up. So can anybody tell me the difference between the top set of pictures and the bottom set? We've got a ZX81, a London A to Z book, and a broken plate versus, I think it's an iPhone. Is that a 14? Can somebody tell me? 13, 14, 20? What are we up to? I don't know. Um, Google Maps and a, a beautiful new plate. What's the difference? Yeah, the, the top line, they're all obsolete. They're like things, oh yeah, we would never use that anymore because we've got something way better at the bottom. We've, we've got a much better thing in the palm of our hand that, that can do all sorts of computer tasks for us. We've got a, a live mapping system. We've got plates that are nice rather than old chipped crockery. Do you know what all of those things have in common? In five years' time, they'll all be broken and obsolete. <laughs> Yet when Jesus, the Son of God, comes into your life, he infects your mortal body with his immortality. And immortality in your soul will grow and grow and grow. Even though your body dies, it will be raised again, and you will live with him forever. This is the Christian hope. Three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three places, your past, your future, and your present. Finally, three responses that you can make. We're not going to dwell on these, because we're going to worship again as our response. In fact, Ben, do you want to come and uh, join me and we'll sing in just a moment? Because I'd, I'd love us to pray in a few moments for anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, that you can step into that relationship with him today. And I'd also love to pray for us to pray for anybody who is sick in body or, or mind and for us to pray that the risen Jesus will be at work in your mortal body to bring about his healing now not just in the future. But here's three responses that you can make. Like Mary Magdalene, you can embrace Jesus. You can hug him for dear life and thank him that he came back from the grave for you. That's the best response you can make. <laughs> to be reconciled to God and to know him and experience him by his spirit. But you know, there's others in the Easter story who didn't do that. There's, a, there's Pontius Pilate who washed his hands. He ignored. He said, you know what, I, I just don't want to be dealing with this. He's not my problem. There's Judas Iscariot who rejected Jesus and said, I, count me out. I'm going to walk away and I'm going to do so very deliberately. So that's the question I want to leave you with you today. Will you reject him? Will you ignore him? Or will you embrace him today and experience his life-changing power, friendship with God and reconciliation with the Father today?